A quick warning before we start, this podcast contains audio of Alaskan Huskies barking, whining, and woo-wooing. So if you have pets of your own, consider using headphones when listening, because they might freak out. Also, there are a few curse words. I kept trying to make sense out of it, and my husband was like, you can't make sense out of crazy. You don't make sense out of crazy. And to this day, I would still like to understand what happened, and I just, I don't know if that will ever happen. A few months ago, I got a tip. It was the kind of wild story that makes you immediately call up your editor. The kind of tip that lands you on a flight to Fairbanks, Alaska. Nathaniel, thank you very much. Thank you. Alaska is more than twice the size of Texas, but its entire population is only half the size of San Antonio. And most of those people live on the Alaska coast, in cities like Anchorage and Juneau. There were only six people on my flight. No crying kids, nobody kicking the seat behind me. Full flight, huh? Well, be careful, and a lot of people don't lose your luggage. <laughs> we flew over rows of craggly, snow-covered mountains and into these white foothills braided with frozen rivers, a subarctic biome known as the Boreal Forest. That's where Fairbanks is deep in Alaska's interior. When I landed, it was negative 10 degrees. So cold that I had to sneak into the airport bathroom to put on my long johns, two coats, and a beanie before stepping outside. Ooh, cold. Cold, cold, cold. <laughs> it's the kind of cold that when you breathe in, it makes you cough. It's that kind of cold. But, um, beautiful sunset. My snot's freezing. People have been surviving winters in the Fairbanks area for thousands of years. The Athabascans hunted moose and caribou here. Later American settlers came searching for gold. And dogs have always been a part of that story. They were like the horses of the Great White North. They transported people, medicine, food. There's even an 18-foot-tall statue downtown called the Unknown First Family. And so this family bundled up in warm, fur-lined parkas. And by their side, two Alaskan huskies. People don't use dogs to get around much anymore. Snowmobiles change that. But Fairbanks is still one of the world's epicenters for competitive mushing. It's the starting line of the Yukon Quest, the second most famous dog sledding race in the world. And there are more than 20 dog sledding kennels scattered across the area. The one I came to see is named after that little claw on the inside of a dog's paw. It's called Dewclaw Kennel. Hey. Good, I'm Nate. Nate, awesome, nice to meet you. Awesome, nice to meet you too. Yeah, heck yeah. Welcome. When I got there, I was greeted by this guy with a blonde mustache named Austin Sorum. That's really cool. So how often do you take him out during a day? Is it just one run a day or? Uh, yeah, sometimes we'll stack runs. So we might go out to a cabin and go camp for a couple hours and kind of simulate like an actual race experience, you know, lay down some straw for him, snack him, feed him, maybe try and get. Austin works as a handler here. It's kind of like a musher's apprentice. He helps run the dogs, he does chores, and he soaks up every bit of knowledge on mushing that he can. About 40 miles or so is kind of our standard setup right now. Wow, 40 miles. 
When I visited, his boss, a guy named Dan Caduce, was deep in training for dog sledding's most famous race, the 2023 Iditarod. Don't talk about it. Don't talk about it. Don't jinx it. I haven't even been saying anything about it because I'm like, I know this is like, if there was a year, but this could be the year. Just, just don't, don't jinx it. In case you've never heard of it, the Iditarod is like the Super Bowl of competitive mushing. It's a grueling, roughly 1,000-mile race over some of Alaska's harshest terrain. Imagine traveling the distance between New York City to Jacksonville, Florida, on an oversized toboggan. And the conditions are brutal. In 1973, wind chill temperatures on the race course supposedly hit negative 130 degrees. Dog sled teams have been charged by moose, there's even a provision in the rules that if a racer is forced to kill a big game animal in self-defense, then, quote, the musher must gut the animal and report the incident to a race official at the next checkpoint. The race, really the whole sport, is a little controversial. The humans have to contend with frostbite and broken bones. The dogs can tear their shoulders, sprain their wrists, and very occasionally die. But regardless of the ethics, which we are going to talk about more later, the Iditarod is arguably one of the toughest, most extreme sporting events in the world. Back in the 1970s, it used to take over two weeks to finish. But nowadays, mushers do it in under 10 days. That's 1,000 miles on a sled in 10 days. This is the this is the race yard. This is the Iditarod team right here. Because how many dogs will will Dan take out? Um, uh, fourteen. On the Iditarod. Okay. Fourteen. Yep. Austin's boss, Dan Caduce, he's run the Iditarod five times. In 2022, he came in fourth place. That makes him one of the top-ranked dog sledders in the world. Not that you'll ever hear him say it like that. He's a quiet guy. His wife Jody, on the other hand. Completely different story. <laughs> Jody's got songs for all the dogs. Oh, I want to hear all the songs. No, I have a song for mushing. For mushing. I want to hear the, what's the mushing song. Oh, right. this is... <laughs> I know this. Um, so, it goes. Puffy pants and neos. Parka with the fur. With the fur. The whole team was looking at her. She hit the snow. Next thing you know, Jody got low, 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 low. Because She's the theater kid you knew in high school all growing up. She sings songs, she howls at dogs. But she's also a certified badass. She's actually competed in the Iditarod more times than Dan, and she was the first rookie to race both the Iditarod and the Yukon Quest in the same year. That's like running two ultra marathons when you were just starting to jog. She and Dan own about 40 Huskies here. Some are racers, some are retirees. And their dogs, by the way, have some pretty odd names. Okay, so mushers will often name their litters after a theme. And some of the dogs on Jody and Dan's team are named after Asian foods. Wonton, kimchi. And others are named after serial killers like Jeffrey Dahmer and H.H. Holmes. Actually, hey, Dan. Will you do one line for the radio story about the serial killers? That might not even get used. <laughs> no. 
Come on, you know what the one I want you to say is. I do not know. So he's at the end of the first race that he won with the serial killers and the announcer was asking him about, well, you have some interesting dog names there, Dahmer and Holmes and Manson. How'd they do? <laughs> you led up to it too much. Will you at least tell them what the line is? I think, I think you can do that. They killed it. Not that funny. That was, I laughed. I laughed, Dad. The kennel itself is sort of like a farm or a commune. Dan built it all by hand. There's a big house, there's an art studio, a cabin for their handlers. There's this aura of barely controlled chaos everywhere. The dogs live in either pens or in these rows of wooden houses with chain leashes that stand next to them like little flagpoles. But when I was driving in, I noticed that one of these little dog villages was mostly empty, like a little dog sledding ghost town. That is where our story really begins. Do I have to sit still? No. Nope. Is it more comfortable if you walk around? Uh, usually, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. kinesthetic. Yeah, absolutely. That thing has to be a certain amount in front of my I face, kind of. I was going to have to stand close, like about this close. Uh, I'll sit down. It'd be weird to have you standing in front of me. <laughs> Thanks again for walking through it. I know it's 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 tough. I know it can be pretty tough emotionally to walk through something. It caused me a lot of stress and anger. So it's not something, you know, that I want to think about. Yeah. Although I will admit um, the biggest reason for wanting to get involved, nothing about this situation made sense. And I'm kind of hoping through the process of asking these questions of all the different people that you're asking them of, that maybe something can make sense. It was February of 2019. The Yukon Quest, that other big race that starts in Fairbanks, had just wrapped up. And right around then, Jody got a message from a woman named Fleur Pirano. Fleur reached out to me, I believe it was on Facebook Messenger, um, and said, you know, we're really looking to find a kennel that can take care of our dogs for a few months while we get their vaccines and vet paperwork and arrange for the shipping. Now, Jody had known this woman for a few years. Fleur's husband, Kurt Pirano, he was an up-and-coming dog sled racer. We attended the same mushing banquets. We attended the same races. We had the same friends. And keep in mind, less than 100 people run the Iditarod every year. So the competitive mushing community, it's elite, but it's also really small. In spite of the competition, everybody's relatively, you know, friendly and supportive of each other because what we do is sort of unique and a lot of people don't get it. Plus, Kurt and Fleur were from New Zealand. They're the first and only team from that country to have ever completed the Iditarod. That makes them pretty hard to miss. In her message, Fleur asked if Jody knew anyone who could watch their 24 Alaskan Huskies until the fall. It wasn't a super unusual request. So Dan and Jody, they talked it over, 
and figured, hey, we could do this. It'd be a nice way to, you know, earn a little extra income in a couple months. This would be great. Why not do it? So they hammered out an agreement, some of it over the phone and some of it over Facebook Messenger. The dogs would stay until the end of the summer. Jody and Dan would charge the New Zealand couple roughly $3,000 a month. There was no reason to think that Fleur and Kurt didn't have the money. They present themselves as reputable people who have a thriving business in New Zealand. You're not going to hear directly from the Piranos in this episode. Thus far, they've declined multiple requests to be interviewed for the series. But from what I've been able to find online, Jody's right. Fleur and Kurt Pirano own a thriving kennel back home in the South Island of New Zealand. It's called Underdog. This is the part of the country with huge snow-capped mountains. Those sweeping shots that people remember from the Lord of the Rings movies. Nestled in those mountains, the Pranos run mushing boot camps, they take tourists on rides, and what's more, their dogs are featured in TV commercials and Hollywood movies. That giant wolf that the Hulk fights in Thor Ragnarok? That was one of their dogs. And that Taylor Swift music video where she's running in the woods with a bunch of wolves? Those were Kurt and Fleur's Huskies. They've been in Volkswagen and North Face commercials, and they've worked with New Zealand's official tourism department. It's a great feeling being out here with the dogs by ourselves, enjoying this environment. We'd all love to see you out here sometime, so come and join us. That was Fleur Pirano's voice, by the way. In this video, she's talking from the back of a dog sled as it speeds across some fresh powder. We had dreamed of running dogs in North America, and we gave everything away to do it. This is Kurt. Kurt moved around a lot growing up, so he's got a twinge of an American accent. And this is from a promotional video they made way back in 2012. Today, we have 42 dogs. Six Malamutes. But the real stars of Kurt and Fleur's operation is their U.S.-based racing team. There's Bo and Arrow, Sam, Sale, and Scout. Each one even has its own bio on the Underdog website. One of the team leaders, Smudge, is described as a pretty cool little girl that's proving to be a little star. Cole, who has a coat of jet black fur, is built like a bulldozer, but loves to nibble on your chin when you are cuddling him. Together, the underdog U.S. team have completed more than a dozen long-distance races. You can even sponsor the dogs online for hundreds of dollars a pop. You know, Floor made it very clear that money was not an option. She wanted her dogs taken well care of, and that impressed me. Um, that, that's the kind of thing you would expect to hear, you would want to hear from somebody. Jody remembers Fleur and her handler showing up with the dogs on a cloudy afternoon that February. They brought groceries from town for us for dinner. Super thankful. Oh, this is so awesome. You guys are great. Oh, you're going to have to come visit us in New Zealand, blah, blah, blah. They got the dogs all settled in, and then Fleur hopped back into her pickup truck. The sky was darkening as they drove down the highway and disappeared. There really were no red flags until there were red flags. And then there were red flags the way you have dandelions like everywhere and you can't stop pulling the heads off them. That tip that brought me to Alaska, this is what it was all about. People in the dog sledding community here are saying that Kurt and Fleur Pirano are not what they seem. What happened? What 
made them turn into evil people. And for Jody and Dan in particular, this business deal, favor really, turned into a three-year nightmare that they're still trying to understand. What kind of fucking person does that? I'm Nate Hedgie, and welcome to Outside In Presents, The Underdogs. We're just one dead body away from Tiger King. This is Chapter 1, Honey and Vinegar. My toes and hands are freezing right now. Very, very cold. It was my second morning at Duclock Kennels, and temperatures were well below zero. The Huskies had spent the night outside with only a small doghouse to keep them warm, but they seemed just fine. The handler, Austin Sorum, was stuffing some hay into one house. All these guys are great in the cold weather. A couple of them, if it gets down to negative 30, negative 40, we'll bring them into the shop. You know, your older ones, your blue barbs, your carrots. But everybody else does just fine. Don't you hurry. Alaskan huskies don't look much like the huskies you see on Instagram. They're mutts. They have these short, dense coats. They come in all different colors and patterns. And they're not actually that big. Anything over 70 pounds would make for a husky husky. There's nothing in there, bud, but you can lick it clean, I guess. But they're also kind of like the superheroes of the dog world. Like that coat? It traps body heat so well that when snow falls on them, it doesn't melt. Oh, yeah. Hi, buddy. Hi. Do you need some attention? Their paws have an extra layer of fat and these incredible tightly wound vascular systems so their feet keep warm and toasty when they run. Running in cold weather is what these dogs are bred to do. Yep. They can easily cover more than 100 miles a day. And during a race, they'll burn around 12,000 calories. That's more than Michael Phelps ate every day when he was in peak Olympic form. But here's the coolest thing. These dogs don't wear out. At least, not like we do. Like, if I ran a marathon, I would be super exhausted because my muscles would break down in fatigue. But sled dogs? They have this mysterious alchemy that allows them to burn energy way more efficiently than humans, or even horses, allowing them to go further and faster. All of these superpowers make sled dogs some of the world's greatest athletes. But just like Olympians, They need the right training, the right nutrition, the right physical therapy to perform at their peak. So sled dogs need a lot of time-consuming, expensive care. Starts with the diet. Every morning, Jody or one of the other helpers, they start cooking dinner for the dogs. It's a very stinky soup that simmers all day over a wood stove. It's got cod, fat, rice, and cabbage just to add uh, some carbs, and it brings more of like a soupy nice stew texture and gets more water into them because they like to eat it. They also get kibble in the morning and then these doggo energy bars. They're actually frozen bricks of ground beef or cod that Jody cuts into Snickers bar-sized chunks with a bandsaw. Feeding is like an art and a science. 
If it's colder, dogs need more fat. Um, if they're running longer runs, they'll get more snacks along the way. Of course, um, what goes in goes out. I'm uh, shoveling. That's Marin Kuhn. She's one of the helpers here. Like every day, every morning, and uh, every night, we shovel the poop so that they have a clean uh, space. They also have to clean the dog houses, which can be tough because the males will often pee on them, creating these literal glaciers of frozen piss that the helpers then have to knock off with a shovel. It's a lot of pee, a lot of frozen pee. Holy crap. It doesn't help that sometimes the dogs try to eat the frozen pee. No, Falcon, no, no, no. This isn't even the most time-consuming part of the job. That would be the actual training runs. The dogs get so excited before their runs. They're hooked up to the guy line, leaping in the air, banging on their harness. It's like this chaotic symphony rising up to a crescendo. And then the release. When they're training for a big race like the Iditarod, a musher will run their dogs for 40, 50, 60 miles. Sometimes they're out all day or even overnight. But even when they aren't training for a race, sled dogs still crave exercise. That could be dog sledding, skijoring, which by the way is when a dog pulls you on your cross-country skis, or even just chasing a four-wheeler around. All that to make sure that these dogs are in top shape and not just sitting in a crate losing their minds. So when the New Zealanders dropped their two dozen Huskies off in February of 2019, Dan and Jody had a lot on their plate. Not only were they taking care of their own crew, they now had the underdogs as well. And those dogs were kind of aggressive. When we initially got them, there was a lot of fighting in the team and bickering and, and you know, j- jockeying for position. And we didn't feel like it would be safe or responsible to put them in pens together. We felt like, you know, they needed to be arranged in such a way that we could take care of them safely. So Dan and Jody built a brand new dog yard. They also had to build new dog houses for the team, and they paid a handler to help out more. And after a few weeks, the underdogs settled down and everyone got into a rhythm. It was just kind of fun. It's spring in Alaska. It's beautiful. The weather's nice. We had all these dogs. We're out mushing every day, you know. Jody was starting to get to know the dog's personalities. And just like any good sitter, she'd send Fleur these little updates. Quill was one of the sweet females that people were really attracted to. So the handler would bring Quill in the cabin and I'd text Fleur and be like, oh, Quill came in the cabin tonight. They're super happy. Or... Um, you know, the dogs, the one that had had surgery and the one that had pneumonia, I sent her some updates on Finn and Smudge, who had the surgery, I believe. You know, so I'd send her little updates on that. And sometimes we'd get a thank you, sometimes we wouldn't. But eventually she stopped responding to any updates on the dogs. And uh, that was kind of one of the first red flags. I'm like, does she not care? But then I thought about like how busy our lives can be. And it was the start of their season. Remember. Fleur and Kurt ran a dog sledding tourism business in New Zealand, and winter was just starting there. So yeah, maybe they were just busy. But then the weeks started turning into months. Um, And the idea is that she's going to be paying you every month, right? Right. And Jody hadn't yet gotten a single payment from Fleur. 
So she sent a message. April 30th. Hey, Floor, hate to be pushy, but wondering when we can expect a payment. And are you giving her the benefit of the doubt? Okay, maybe she's just a little bit spacey. No, I'm upset, but in general, you get more flies with honey than vinegar. Uh, Later on, I just go full vinegar on her. But at the beginning, I'm like, oh, God, bitch, just please do the right thing. Don't make me be that person. Blur did get back to her with an excuse. She said that Kurt's dad had gotten very sick and was in critical condition at the hospital, but that she'd have the payment all sorted out. A few days go by, no money. So Jody bugged her again. And Fleur responded. Uh, I'll be home Friday. Oh, I've been traveling. I'll be home Friday. I, I, she started out really blaming the bank. She said there was some sort of problem with the transfer, a, a missing code. Said that she'll get it fixed, and then sure enough, over the next few weeks, she sent three payments totaling more than $11,000. They were squared up. But then Fleur missed payments for June, July, August. The debt was racking up and Jody was getting worried. I'm trying to explain to them that, like, we are not a wealthy kennel. We did this to help you and now you're hurting us. Dog sledding isn't a moneymaker. There aren't that many races to enter, and the cash prizes don't even begin to cover expenses. For his fourth place Iditarod finish last year, Dan got just a little over $35,000. By comparison, golfers who place fourth in the Masters tournament, they get a cash prize that's just shy of three quarters of a million. To carve out a living, Dan and Jody have other jobs. He's a carpenter. She does catering for a coffee shop in the summers. People need to understand that most mushers care about dogs more than they care about their truck or their clothes. You know, most mushers don't have health insurance, don't take vacations, don't have savings accounts, because the only thing they care about is their dogs. As fellow mushers, Curtin Fleur must have known this already. Meanwhile, Jody and Dan were digging into their savings accounts and using credit cards to care for the underdogs, to pay for their food, take them on runs, and to clean the frozen piss off their houses. What choice did Jody and Dan have? I, this is my life. I have to feel good about it. And I couldn't do anything to those dogs that I wouldn't feel good about. At the end of the summer, when the original deal was supposed to come to an end, Curtin Fleur still owed nearly $10,000 in back payments. But worse, they never showed up to pick up the dogs. Instead, Fleur reached out via Facebook Messenger. They wanted an extension. Six more months. You want to give people a chance to do the right thing. You want to give people a chance to be good. And I really spent far too long wanting Floor to be good. Do you remember what you were feeling when you found out that these dogs that you've been taking care of all summer were going to be there for another season? I was really angry. I was super, super angry. Six more months. It's a long time to take care of two dozen dogs. I wonder how angry Jody would have been if she'd known that she'd wind up watching them for nearly three years. 
long enough that one of them would die, for another to have puppies, for a few others to reach retirement age. Long enough for Jody to discover that this wasn't the first time the Piranos had gone back on a deal. And it wouldn't be the last. She said, until you can prove that those dogs are yours, I won't let them off the place. I mean, they screwed a little mom-pop kennel, then they went and screwed a small family-owned business. That's coming up on the next episode of The Underdogs. Outside Ends, The Underdogs, was reported and produced by me, Nate Hedgie. It was edited and mixed by Taylor Quimby. Additional editing help from Justine Paradise, Felix Poon, Jessica Hunt, Jack Rodolico, and from our executive producer, Rebecca Lavoie. A quick update, as we release this episode, the 2023 I Did Rod is just wrapping up. And I hope we didn't jinx it because this was not Dan Caduce's year. He came in 12. Special thanks to Felicia Cecilio and Tony Zambito for housing me up in Fairbanks. Also, thanks to veterinarian Kim Henneman for helping me understand the physiology of huskies. And speaking of which, if you want to learn more, there's this great TED Talk that we'll link to in the show notes. I also want to hype Blair Braverman's dog sledding memoir, Welcome to the Goddamn Ice Cube. Great name, super helpful. We'll also link to that. Music in this episode came from Blue Dot Sessions, Dylan Sitz, Rand Aldo, and Amaranth Cove. The Outside In theme is by Brickmaster Cylinder. Outside In Presents The Underdogs is a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. All right, here we go.